Welcome to ShimmyCast. This is episode 10 and I'm your host, Anala Rabari. This episode, we have the usual answers to the question of the week, news, a review of the Belly Dance Superstars Live in Paris DVD, and an article about Zill work. And this week, we have two music selections. The first will be from Susanna Chiang, and the second will be from Pentaphobe. But first, on to answers to the question of the week. Our first answer comes from Delilah in Springdale, Arkansas, and she says that she would not allow tips to be tucked because she's not comfortable with the idea of strangers being that close to her. Then Jesse from Nashville, Tennessee says, For me, it depends on the venue. At fairs and festival-type places, we often balance baskets on our heads and use level changes layered with different movements to accept tips while still entertaining the audience. At a wedding involving Arabic people, money is thrown over the dancer like playing cards and sometimes tucked. And I think to show respect to the culture, it makes sense to accept tips this way. But I think there are ways of accepting tucked tips that keep the show both entertaining and family-friendly in this situation. By jutting the hip out and or framing the side of the hip, it shows the audience member exactly where they are allowed to tuck. I can't say it always prevents a stray hand from coming up behind and tucking in unwelcome places. Thankfully, most people do not do that, and while I'm fuming on the inside and probably blushing on the outside, I try to ignore it and remove the bill discreetly to keep it from inviting another to do the same. If given a choice on tipping, I prefer a jar or a basket just because I hate having to stop dancing to go accept a tip. Though there are ways of making that entertaining too. Jesse, sorry for the lengthy answer. Love the podcast. I didn't think that was too lengthy of an answer. I think you had a lot of good points in there. Our next answer comes from Elena Malente, who is from Springdale, Arkansas. And she says, as belly dancers, we fight so much with the stereotype of being strippers and exotic dancers whose only purpose is to sexually entice and titillate a man. And by allowing people to tuck tips, we lose that boundary we've struggled so hard for. I think those are all great points. And I actually have a special guest with me today here in the studio. This is my husband, Ryan. Hi. And uh, we're going to talk about a a little bit about our own opinions about the whole tucking, not tucking issue. Well, you said you kind of wanted the the male perspective on the the tucking, not tucking. And... uh, I, I kind of agree with Jesse that a lot of it depends on the culture. There are, there are cultures where that's sort of the standard. But in American culture, that definitely has a stripper vibe. Yeah, and, you know, we we discussed this a little bit uh, when I first got the email with Jesse. I discussed it with Ryan some. And we both talked about we have seen tucking in America, and there have been times where we hardly even remember what it was like. It was that uninvolved, unobtrusive, inconspicuous, un- you know, so didn't have any kind of sexual vibe to it. And it, it kind of reminded me more of the cultures like at weddings where money is pinned on the bride or something like right, that. Right, yeah. Um, I've also seen it done a couple of venues, though, where uh, it was a little teasy. It was, yeah. And I'm, I have a hard time putting my finger on what 
exactly was different in the two situations. I don't know, perhaps, if it was the dancer's attitude. Yeah, I, I think the attitude was a lot of it. Um, it. It's it's the way it's presented, the way it's done, the venue that it's in. Um, I've seen it done in, in family situations where it was it was fine, it was acceptable. But I've also seen it done in the same venues where I was a little uncomfortable. I was like... There are kids here. Tone it down a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of it just depends on the on the dancer and the attitude, I think. Yeah. Now, one of Jesse's friends, when she first asked me about this, um, one of her male friends said that he didn't like it because he thought it took away from the mystery of the dancer and kind of the untouchability aspect to here's this kind of beautiful, exotic, mysterious dancer, and then all of a sudden she's coming right up to you and letting you tuck money in her belt yeah I, I can see that i do kind of like the the distance and everything um but then i don't know to me you've been dancing long enough that it's nice but it's not really a sexual thing at all to me yeah um and part of that is that i've been exposed to it enough that it's lost a lot of the mystique no offense <laughs> um i still love to see you dance but it's not this big sexy thing and all my guy friends are always like oh yeah you love to see your wife dance don't you and i do but not for that reason Right. And uh, and part of it is I've seen y'all without your makeup. I've seen you at practice <laughs> in sweatpants and uh and, and T shirts and uh belly dance in that in that setting is pretty non sexy in general. <laughs> so I've seen I've seen both sides of it and uh so I'm kinda kinda over that aspect. But a lot of people aren't. Yeah. And I know around here y'all have had some, some stalker problems in the past. Right. And that sort of touching contact teasing aspect of of the the tipping could really cause some problems there right and that that's one of the one of my personal issues why i don't think i would personally ever allow tucking is because we have had um issues in this area with stalkers and you never know who your audience is and if i allowed tucking and I came up to some stranger. I don't know who my audience is. And for all I know, by allowing him to tuck that money into my belt, that could totally be setting off one of his sexual fantasies. And in his mind, I may be giving him an invitation to marry me or something. Yeah. Um, as far as tucking on the on the sides, I do think she had a good point that, you know, presenting a hip could, could indicate tuck here. Right. Um, Front tucking would definitely be no. a no no, yeah. and and back tucking I'm not I'm not real good with either. There's the Saturday Night Live skit about the coin slot jeans and stuff. <laughs> and, um, so back tucking would be a no no, and top tucking would be a I think a, a no no as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a thing. I've heard of a lot of tribal troops who allow tucking in the folds of their turbans. Oh, that's totally so. Different. You know, that's yeah. I mean, it's like that's just your head, a hat on your head. You know, and that's kind of different. I also know that I think they've allowed tucking in their arm gauntlets, which are um, worn on the wrists. Are there? Um, yeah, what those are called, arm, upper yeah, arm. Yeah, things. the 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 upper arm bands, like yeah. on your. Um, I could see some anklet shoe tucking, maybe or. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, really, to me, anything other than the sides of the hip would be a little out of bounds, anyway. Yeah, but then I've seen um, we've go to the Renaissance Fair in Muskogee, Oklahoma, before, and I've seen tips tucked in the bra. Um, 
not necessarily the the front of the bra, more the straps or the back of the bra, as far as the belly dancers go. Now you you get around the vendors, like the um, waitresses and the who are giving out drinks and things like that, and they just kind of plop them up on the counter and they're like, "Oh, you want to give me a tip? Here, yeah. tuck it in my bodice," kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's a that's a venue thing, though. Exactly, because even though that that's real it's not real exactly uh the, the the waitresses who want you to tuck a 20 in their bodice would slap the fire out of you if you did it at the mall exactly and, and it's totally you can tell these women are portraying characters right you you definitely get the feeling that that is not who they are on a regular basis and that like you said anywhere else they would not be allowing you to tuck money into their bars. Right. Well, yeah. And and the audience too is portraying a character to some extent. Yeah. And and that's what that's what would be different there from um uh Springfest in Fayetteville or something. The audience there isn't portraying a character. They are themselves. Yeah, um to let our listeners know, Springfest is um a community festival that has bands and uh, various dance acts and artist vendor booths set up along the street. And it's just a fair that people come to. It's not, you know, it's just families coming out to have ride carnival rides. and Right. And I've never like seen that. tucking there, so it's no, not a huge deal. No. Um, and, I, and I've never been to a strip club, but from guys that I know who have, <laughs> um, the, even, the, even the tucking there is, um, it's, a, it's a pay for service. It's not a tip necessarily. It's you're tucking in a twenty, you're getting a brief lap dance, and that's a also a, a distinction between belly dancing and and that kind of erotic dancing. I think. Yeah, I will say I think if a dancer is going to put herself out there and allow tucking, she really has to commit to it, and she has to be willing to let anybody do it, and she can't. I. I personally am turned off by dancers who kind of look, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hip- hypocritical about it. Like they will dance from the center of the room all the way to the edge of the audience because there's a cute guy on the edge of the audience waving a dollar at her or waving some kind of money at her. And then she comes all the way back up and there's this guy in the front row covered with food and she refuses to let him tuck a tip. And I, I, I just think that makes her kind of look like a trashy dancer. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen that, but I have seen uh, a couple of times where uh, even like parents have given like little kids money to go up and and tuck as a tip, and that's kind of cute and funny. Yeah, and I mean it's one thing if um, you've accepted tips from a lot of people that way, and you've just run out of time and you have to get off the stage, and there's still a number of people and you're refusing all of them. And I I also, I know a lot of dancers who have told me, oh, well, I allow tucking, but I only allow my friends and family to tuck. And I refuse everybody else. And I, again, think that that's kind of a hypocritical view of it because the rest of the audience doesn't know that you know those people that you're allowing to tuck. And so they automatically assume that they should be allowed to tuck too. You know, they don't understand why those people get to and why you're refusing them. Right. That's a little creepy to me too. Those yeah. are like the last people I want tucking things into my pants. Yeah. 
Um, that does seem kind of weird. Yeah. So I, I think what it boils down to is just what the dancer's comfortable with, what the venue allows for, and what the culture expects. Right. Because if you were in a culture that, that does that, it, would, it could be really insulting to not allow it. Right. Uh, and that would be something you need to be aware of going into that situation, that it might be expected. Um, so it's really you know up to you, whatever you're comfortable, comfortable with. But you should be aware that in, in male American culture, that definitely has a uh, stripper connotation. Yeah, unfortunately, I I think too many times our culture as a whole views things in a very sexual manner that maybe don't necessarily need to be viewed in a very sexual manner. Right. So, yeah, I, I think I think that could, you know, cause a ruckus at a ball game if you were dancing at halftime or something. I'm not sure what that would be. <laughs> but um but yeah, if you were doing a show at a family restaurant or something, I'm not even really sure it would come up there. I'm not sure people would want to do that so much. Yeah, actually, it seems like most tipping does take place in restaurant coffee house venues. Really? Yes. Yeah. Um, and the reason why that is is because most of the time the restaurants and those venues aren't actually paying the dancers that much. So they get most of their money from those gigs through the tips that they can get. Yeah. But I do like the idea of the, the balancing the thing on the head or something. Um, that, that makes it a show and it's a little bit more challenging and impressive than just popping a hip out there, but you definitely would, would have different expectations from the audience at Olive Garden or Hooters. <laughs> uh, and that would be, um, a venue, a venue you would probably want to just avoid for that sort of thing. And for that reason. Definitely. Well, if any more of our listeners uh, out there have heard all these answers and everything like that, y'all have more opinions, feel free to go ahead and email in, even though we'll have a new question for uh, the next week. And I would just like to thank my husband, Ryan, for taking the time out of his schedule to come and sit down and talk with me about this. Well, sure. Anytime I, I can offer the uh, male perspective on something, then uh, I'll be glad to do it. He's a trooper. Yep. I'm a <laughs> Billy Dance Husband. And now your ShimmyCast news. First, a news announcement. We have all the judges lined up for the article contest, and we will be having six winners. That's right, six winners. The deadline for submission is going to be Monday, August 21st at noon Greenwich Mean Time. Please check what that time will be for you locally. Uh, since we have an international audience, we went with Greenwich Mean Time to try to make it fair for everyone as far as when submissions were due. For more details, see the article discussion section on the forum board. has all the guidelines as far as length, what topics you can cover, everything like that. And if you have more questions, of course, just send me an email. Okay, July 16th through the 30th, Stella Mara, which is a music group I've played on the podcast before, will be touring around Crete and Athens, Greece. July 20th through the 23rd, Susanna Del Vecchio's annual dance retreat will be held in Grand Lake, Colorado. July 20th through the 24th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be performing in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. 
July 21st, Enchantment Theatre Show at Jackson's Lane, London, England. July 21st, Ojami will be performing in Ostovia, Czech Republic. July 21st through the 23rd, an evening of experimental Middle Eastern dance will be held in North Hollywood, California. July 21st through the 24th, there will be a belly dance workshop led by Bahara of Vienna at Daphne's Club in Xylokostro, Greece. This class is being taught in English. July 22nd, Sonia of the Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. July 22nd, Tribal Attitude will be performing at the Bucktown Bash in Davenport, Iowa. July 22nd through the 23rd, the Lotus Fire Belly Dance Troupe is sponsoring a Tribal Pura workshop and show in Bozeman, Montana. July 22nd through the 23rd, Delaney's Summer Chicago Workshops. The workshops will use traditional music and cover combinations and a short choreography with cymbals in Chicago, Illinois. July 22nd through 23rd, Mohammed Reda in a workshop and choreography awards show in Oceanside, California. July 28th, the Gypsy Fire Belly Dancers will be performing at the River's Edge Cafe in Tulsa, Oklahoma. July 28th through the 30th, the Middle Eastern Dance Artists of Louisiana will be having workshops and shows. This is being called a Celebration of Survival and will be held in Lafayette, Louisiana. So if you can, go support our sisters who have had a hard time with those hurricanes lately. July 28th through the 31st, Sufi Music Festival in London, England. July 29th, Sonia of the Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop and auditions in Honolulu, Hawaii. July 29th, Summer Special Classes by Nadia, Belly Dance Basics for Mothers and Daughters ages 3 to 9, Belly Dance Basics for Mother, Daughter, or Friend, Friend ages 10 to Adult, and a Double Veil Class in Cordania, Idaho. I probably said that wrong. I'm really sorry. July 29th, Tribal Belly Dance Workshop and Show in New Albany, Indiana. July 29th through 30th, Hasim and Serena Ramsey will have workshops in Hofla in Preston, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. July 29th through 30th, the 5th Annual Belly Dance Fantasy Festival in San Leandro, California. July 29th through August 2nd, Delania Summer Chicago Workshops. They'll use traditional music and cover combinations and a short choreography with cymbals, and those are in Chicago, Illinois. July 30th, Jillian and Asim from Belly Dance Superstars will be having a workshop in San Diego, California. This has been the ShimmyCast News for this week, and as always, you can find more information about all of these events on our forum board under events announcements. Now it's time for a review. This review is going to be of the Belly Dance Superstars the Live in Paris at the Follies Bergere DVD, which was made in 2005. This DVD offers a mixture of nine solos, nine group pieces, and one duet. 
It covers the dance styles of cabaret, folkloric, Hawaiian hula, American tribal style, Bollywood, and Spanish infused. Prop routines include double and single veils, zills, canes, isis wings, and gourds. The routines are danced to both live and taped music, as well as being danced in both hills and barefooted. So there's a little bit of something for everybody in this DVD. This is a live recording of a couple of the tour shows in Paris at the Follies Bergère. I have to say, I think this is an excellent production. I enjoyed it so much more than the first Belly Dance Superstars DVD. I think the camera work is infinitely better because in this production, they aren't constantly zooming in on the dancers' faces. So you see a lot more of the routine and the movement of the dancers as a whole. Although they do have an appropriate amount of close-ups on the body to show off certain moves. I also think this DVD probably does each dancer better justice. In that, I mean you are better able to see how the dancer interacts with an audience and more of their stage presence comes through. And because of that, I found myself liking some of the dancers more than I had previously based on the first Billy Dance Superstars DVD, which was all just solos in a studio. It's true that most of the solo performances on this DVD are the same routines from the first DVD that they did, but I think seeing them in this live project gives them a new light. I really enjoyed all the group pieces as I hardly get to see a troupe perform since I'm usually dancing with the troupe myself. I really like the way they melded the tribal dancers with the cabaret dancers in some of the group numbers. So if your troupe is a majority of one style over the other, but you have some individuals who like the other style, you might want to watch this for ideas of how to mix the two styles. And this DVD has given me a lot of inspiration as I'm choreographing for the troupe and for my own solos. So I would really recommend this to everybody. Definitely worth it. So our first music pick of the week is Silver Lake from the album Mystic Journey by Susanna Chiang. And this album can be found at magnatune.com. And there will be a link uh, in the show notes. I hope you enjoy it.
some feedback on the forum board from Shannon, who is in Vancouver Island, British Columbia, in Canada. Hi, new listener here. I found your podcast by searching Belly in the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for producing this podcast. It's nice to get in touch a bit with a dancing community other than my own. And I'm so glad you said that, Shannon, because that's what I'm trying to do. So it really touches me when y'all tell me that it's helping you in that way. But back to her feedback. What I would like to hear in the podcast is more music. I would love to be introduced to new Middle Eastern music and resources where I could search out more. A lot of the market is baffling to new dancers who would like to expand their horizons but don't know where to begin selecting CDs to buy, especially if their experience of world music is limited or they don't have a good selection at their local store. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Thanks again, Shannon. Well, Shannon, we are going to try really hard to answer your request. She noticed already in this episode we have two songs instead of just one. But I want to remind all of you that part of the problem with playing music on the show is copyright issues. Most of the major record labels aren't willing to give podcasters permission to play their music in podcasts. And I really can't afford to be sued for breaking copyright. So I'm limited in the music I'm allowed to play on this show. But I also kind of like that because it challenges me to use artists that aren't mainstream. So most dancers don't know about them. Which I think is great because as much as I like Shakira's music, I don't like going to a belly dance show and seeing three different acts all dancing to her latest hit. It's just a personal preference of mine to try to find music that isn't well-known so that my music selection is perhaps more unique when I perform in shows. So I hope you guys kind of like that too. I am currently sending out a ton of emails asking for permission to play some more of the mainstream music so I can get a good variety. And hopefully I'll be getting some yeses from those places. So you guys keep your fingers crossed. Uh, We are also working on an article to cover tips for finding music, as well as introducing you to the names of some artists to look for, uh, some classic belly dance artists that probably every dancer should know about, as well as maybe some obscure ones that you might not have heard of before. I will say most of the CDs that we review on the show can be ordered from barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Or, if you don't feel comfortable ordering stuff online, we will start including more info for the CDs in the show notes. So you can take that info to your local store and ask them if they can order it for you. And that's one thing um, Shannon mentioned, you know, if your local store doesn't have a good selection, start getting all of your friends together and going into your local stores, like not at the same time, but, you know... Take a week and have somebody go in, like, one day a week, a different person, go in and ask them. Tell them that their world music section sucks and you demand more. (laughs) Because if they start getting a lot of requests for that stuff, then they'll change what they carry. So that's, that's another thing that you can do as far as getting better selection in your local store. 
Um, we're also working on some other music articles, one explaining about the structure of Middle Eastern music and how it's different from Western music, and one about the instruments used in Middle Eastern music. And hopefully these articles will help you understand that what you are hearing, and once you know what you like, it will be easier for you to search on the internet or go to the local store and ask them to order it for you. So like I said, we're going to hopefully try to have the article um, as far as finding music and artist names. We're hopefully going to be able to get that one out maybe in the next three weeks or so. Um, so be looking forward to that. And finally, I would also like to remind you guys about Rock's Radio Podcast. It's rocksradio.blogspot.com. Because uh, the format of that show is actually set up a little more to deal with dance music than the format of this show. Although we're trying to help you guys out. Because I totally sympathize with how hard it can be to find music. So rest assured, we're working on the music issue for you guys. And as far as that goes, enter the article contest. Because all the prizes on the article contest are CDs. So that'll be a good, easy way to pump up your CD collection there. And remember, you can always send us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com or on the forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com. And feel free to vote for us on Podcast Alley or Podcast Pickle and leave reviews on iTunes. And don't forget to sign up on the Frapper Map on the website because I, just, I really enjoy seeing where all you guys live. It's really fun to see how far the show is reaching and know where your fellow listeners are. So this week's article is Nearly Everything You Need to Know About Zills by Anala Rabari. Finger symbols are often referred to by the Turkish word for symbol, zil. Although the plural is actually zilya, Z-I-L-Y-A. However, they can also be called for their Arabic name, which is Zagat, Z-A-G-A-T, or S-A-G-A-T, spelled either way. Selecting finger symbols. The first thing to remember when buying zils is that you are purchasing a musical instrument. Keeping that in mind, it is more important to pay attention to the sound that they make rather than the way they look. Listen to them a few times before buying. You want a pair that makes a nice bell-like ring or chime and not a clanky sound. Also, pay attention to how long they resonate after they strike. A good pair should resonate at least three seconds after the strike or an even better pair will resonate longer. If you are new to playing finger cymbals, it might be best to start with a small pair of zills, meaning small in diameter. They will not sound as loud and be lighter weight than larger pairs. Symbols that are two inches in diameter are a good start. More experienced zill players will probably prefer larger symbols that are louder and will therefore be heard better over a band or a sound system. When buying zills, it is important to note if the pair you are looking at has one hole at the center where the elastic goes through 
or if it has two slits where the elastic goes around a little bar between the slits. You will want to try to get a pair with two slits and not a center hole. Remember that, two slits, not a center hole. Uh, the slit style is a design that gives you more control. After all, it's important that your zills do not flop around on your finger when you're trying to play a steady beat. Tips for fitting zills. The zills should be worn on the first knuckle around your thumbs and middle fingers. To make sure that your cymbals fit, you may need to play around with the elastic or replace it altogether. I feel that round elastic cord makes it harder to control my cymbals because it often rolls on my fingers. Many dancers suggest using a flat braid elastic of about 1 8 or 1 16th inch wider than the width of the slot. And I did find that this worked better for me as well. Some dancers use small safety pins to help secure the fitting. Again, as mentioned with the veil, you can uh, choose elastic that will match your skin tone and be less visible. However, if you go with a light-colored elastic, it can become dirty over time and become more visible, whereas black elastic will not show dirt as much over time. Most people need slightly bigger elastic on the zills that are worn on your thumb. Try sewing two or three beads or coins on the part of the elastic that goes over your thumbnail. It can be the same color as your elastic so it's not seen as easily or you can go for something more flashy like coins or beads that match your outfit. This will always help you tell which symbols fit on your thumbs and can come in handy in poorly lit backstage areas. Tips for using finger symbols. Many people say that if you can walk and chew gum at the same time, you can handle dancing with zills. Unfortunately, not all of us are that coordinated. I am not. Start off slow. Learn to play the zills first. Then try dancing with them on, but not playing them. Just get used to how they feel on your fingers while you're dancing, and get used to the difference in hand gestures that you can do while wearing them. After you are used to this, start trying to produce a ding here or there. Stick with a slow, easy pattern and work your way up to faster and fancier ones. Remember, you are striving for an even tone, a steady tempo to match your song, and the correct rhythm. A supply that you may want to consider investing in is something that is referred to as a zil muffler. This is something non-permanent that can be put on your cymbals while you are practicing to save everyone around you and yourself from getting a headache. You can make these yourself in many ways. Toes out of old socks or baby booties can be cut slightly larger than your zill. Then insert elastic or a drawstring in them to secure them in place while you practice. You can also do the same by using a lightweight fabric that won't ravel such as felt or knit. Midi dancers crochet their own mufflers. A pattern can be found on the website www.shira.net. And more vendors are also starting to sell these. You can even use painter's tape, like the kind to protect windows from being painted, 
to cover the strike surfaces while you practice to muffle the sound. It's very important that you get the painter's tape and not something else as other tapes can leave residue that is hard to remove. Caring for your zills. Most dancers may not think about needing to care for their zills as much as other props because they are not delicate in nature. However, you should be mindful about your zills becoming tarnished and looking poor. Luckily, this is easily fixed with a quick rub of brass polish. Then your zills will be bright and sparkly for your next show. Another maintenance issue with zills is to make sure that the cups of the symbol are free of any debris. Elastic, safety pins, or buttons inside the cups of your zills must be small, otherwise they can interfere with the sound. If you strike your zills and they do not produce a nice ring, check to see if the cup is obscure and adjust accordingly. You may want to invest in a small drawstring bag to keep your zills in. They come in handy for carrying your zimbals from point A to point B, and they can help you from losing a zill here or there. Most are made from velvet or some other pretty fabric. Some vendors sell them, however, they are also really easy to make. So I hope you all enjoyed that article on Zills, and hopefully some of the tips uh, will be useful to you. And now it's time for next week's question. So here it is. Do you have restaurants in your area that offer Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, Greek food? And do they have belly dancers that perform in them? Now let me tell you, this is a really important question because you never know when a fellow listener might be traveling to your area and they need to know where to go eat and where they can see fellow dancers if they're coming to your area. So basically... We're looking for restaurant recommendations here for our listeners who may be traveling, especially since it's the summer. Probably a lot of us are taking summer vacations. We need to know where's good to eat, where's good to go see dancers if we are coming to your area. So I think that'll be really fun. To answer, you can send email to shimmycast at gmail.com or go to the forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com. Finally, it's time for the second music pick of the week. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been sending out emails to ask permission to use music on the show. And I got very, very lucky that Pentaphobe agreed that I could use his music. If you haven't heard of Pentaphobe, he's worked a lot with Rachel Bryce. Uh, some of the tribal pieces on the Belly Dance Superstars Live at the Follies Bergere in Paris DVD that I recommended earlier. Some of that music is his. This song is Sibyl from the CD and Tribal Metamorphosis. This song is not for duplication and is copyrighted by Mondo Meladia Incorporated. For more information, you can go to Pentaphobe's website at pentaphobe.net and there will be a link in the show notes to that site. I hope you all enjoy and until next week, this is Anala Rabari saying shimmy on.
Thanks again for listening to ShimmyCast. You can leave us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com and be sure to visit our website and forum at www.shimmycast.blogspot.com. Remember, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the podcast crew. Thanks again.